Welcome back to Texas Podcast and Blast, and this is episode 10 in season one. It's kind of crazy to think that we're uh, over two months into this thing. I hope you're getting outside, and the weather's been a little crazy as we're sitting here recording. We're waiting on rain to start dropping again around us, but uh, once again, just thanks for tuning in, and as I promised, we have a, you know, just a good diversity of outdoor topics, and tonight we're jumping right into dog training. If you're an outdoors person, you either have hunting dogs yourself, you've either hunted with dogs, and you've probably hunted with some good ones, and we've all hunted with the ones that we wish had a little more training. Uh, but today's a friend of mine, Parker Rawlings, with Rawlings Retrievers, another local guy here in Matagorda County. Uh, Parker, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Parker and I have met because we've done some dog work together, um, and so we kind of met over uh, the Labradors. But, uh, you know, Parker, there at your kennels, when you get a, a, a dog, first of all, uh, kind of what age would you like to get? Let's just talk retrievers just because that's sure. our general topic. Um, <clears throat> most commonly, we really like getting dogs around the six-month mark. Okay. Um, you know, I, I love it when I get a puppy. You know, mm-hmm. and I and somebody says, "Hey, I want this dog to be started and have him till he's done." You know, that that's really the best. But it's kind of unrealistic. Most people aren't going to do that, and they're not going to spend that much money. You know, because um, it does get expensive after a while. Sure. But uh, for the most part, most commonly, we get them around six months of age. The main reason behind that is in order to do force fetch, they have to have their adult teeth, which their adult teeth grow in right around the five and a half to six month mark. Okay. So that's usually the most current um but i mean we've we've trained dogs anywhere from you know i've had them been dropped off as nine week old puppies wow. and i've had three-year-old dogs dropped off to be trained i mean you know you can kind of do whatever but most commonly we usually get them around six months and that let's just go with that six month mark in an ideal world you get a six month pup uh the the owners have done a good job socializing the dog hopefully mm-hmm. you know with the family or, or whoever the dog's living with and in that first say 30 days what is your first out of the box approach to a dog that is going to be a let's just uh you know a family and a field dog at the same time well introduction is key right so my big thing is i don't want the dog to have any surprises when they go hunting so the first month obviously is your obedience and me and the dog have to have a bonding period but we start teaching that dog concepts without the dog realizing they're learning concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we start attacking areas like, you know, hunting blinds, dog stands, mm-hmm. decoys, real ducks, um, live, dead, frozen, what, whatever we got to use, you know, um, shotguns, pretty much just anything that dog's going to possibly see in his first season of hunting. We just want to show it to him, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really what we focus on in the first month. And obviously everything's about drive building. When we go into force fetch on month two, we want that dog to have nothing on his brain more than just wanting to retrieve. Mm-hmm. That's our, that's our main goal when we look at everything. But, and, and so really it's just a second level of socializing. I've done that with my dogs. Like you right. say, I've, uh, little things in the field I've seen dogs struggle with, like possibly going over a levee if they've never had to retrieve mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. you know, a, a different elevation. And yep. everybody thinks that just the gunshot's the only thing you have to worry about. But mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to run side by sides, if you're going to run a boat, that dog needs to be introduced to that as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy, and there's so much detail that people don't even realize that their dog's going to see or do. 
You know, I mean, there's cases all the time where somebody's got a puppy. That dog's never been around a Polaris Ranger, and they just want to load it up and take him out there. Well, you know, we'll talk about Can-Am Defenders since that's what, <laughs> that's what we run with the Lodge. But, uh, but the players aren't bad. But, you know, uh, it's, it's just kind of funny how uh, folks just don't think about every no, little nuance no. of a hunt. Well, and you've got to think, too, think about a dog. So all of a sudden one random day at four o'clock in the morning you wake up you have all this stuff you drive 20 30 minutes an hour it's freezing cold you're mm -hmm. on a boat in a can-am yeah um what whatever your situation and all Pe of a sudden people the dogs never met yeah you're the dog's in a completely new environment and right. you expect the dog to go out there and just naturally do it and that's not going to happen yeah like like you sit in the backyard for the four or five retrieves maybe while yeah. you're grilling burgers yeah, or something exactly and, and you get that dog out there and it's a culture shock they have they're just like what is going on right you know now? that's probably the best way i've heard that described because on the hunts i've ran and the hunts i've been on just for fun there's nothing worse than seeing a dog that you know it has all the potential in the world mm -hmm. but due to the handler and the lack of training they're putting the dog in a horrible situation oh, yeah so, well, man, how did you get into the to the, the the retriever training side of things? Well, it was actually a complete fluke. Um, <clears throat> so, true story, I started training duck dogs before I ever went duck hunting. Okay. Um, I was in college. I was living in uh, Lorena, Texas, right outside of Waco, and I was doing some commercial farming up there. I'd lost my job. I was coming home. And I was going to transfer colleges and whole whole big old deal going on. And uh, I was at a gas station right outside of Cameron, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was scrolling through Facebook. And Kay Teamer, well, Kay Crane now, mm -hmm. shared a post from Robert Murray. And I was like, well, it'd be kind of cool, I guess. So I called him up, and we talked for a minute. And he said, come on out and meet me. So I did and went out there. And he kind of went through the song and dance of obedience. And I'm like, oh, wow, his dog's sad. Cool. And then he did some retrieving, and I was like, oh, you know, how awesome is that? The dog fed my dog, my healer fetches, you know? Mm -hmm. And then um, he did hand signals with the dog. And I was like, first oh, time you'd ever seen somebody I'd work a dog? I'd never seen nothing like that. It was the most amazing thing ever, and I instantly had to know what was going on. So we talked, and he gave me a job, and uh, I worked with Robert for a pretty good time. Um, learned a lot based there out of Wadsworth. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Based out of Wadsworth. And we primarily back then ran a we ran competitively, did okay. hunt tests. We were training for some field trials. We did pointing dogs. We dabbled in bite dogs a little bit. I mean, we kind of just did everything, you know, and I learned everything I know today. And, and the bite dog is the defense dog. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's not my forte. I don't, I don't want to get bit on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you start working for Robert Murray, and that's where you kind of cut your teeth in the business. Yeah, and I mean, like, like I said, I mean, he, he introduced me to so much, taught me so much, and I'll be forever grateful without him. I wouldn't be where I'm at today, and uh, me and Robert, we split and went different ways, and uh, I t fell into bed with Nick Stillwell, yeah. and uh, became a half owner or partner in running gun retrievers, and I was there for a pretty good while, and you know, continued on from where I picked up at Robert's. Um, you know, really, my main focus when I went there was I wanted to kind of make a bigger push to get more into hunt tests and things like that and you know nick was cool with it and agreed thought it'd be a good idea for our personal dogs at the lodge and be good for business and everything else and we had a lot of success and you know i eventually left running gun and opened up my own deal and you know here i am today three years later and it's doing great and what do you uh you know you mentioned hunt tests and I, there are people that will buy a 
fabulous dog, and that's all they want to do mm-hmm. is you know get as many titles as they can, and yeah. and and that's I mean that's a competitive game. Oh, There's yeah. other guys that get a dog and all they want to do is retrieve ducks. Some try to do both, and then every now and then you get that one that gets these dogs that have all this ability and they just want to lay on the couch. And that's the cool thing about our Labradors. Uh, They can do all of that. But right now, kind of what's the split between competitive dogs and hunting dogs that you're working with? Meaning what? I I mean, like, are you doing 50% field trial, 50% hunting? Are you doing 60% field trial? Nowadays, I don't do any competition anymore. Okay. I strictly train hunting gun or gun dogs only. Right. Um, you know, so when I started my own business, things were great. Business is rocking and rolling. We were whew, about six months in, and my fiance at the time told me she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it was time to uh, get a job that had some health insurance and start making big boy decisions. And yeah, and I think I officiated a wedding yeah, between the yeah, two of you, y'all, and, and now years. y'all are y'all are well on your yeah. way, and things Another are going. Another one on the way too. With, well, congratulations, Appreciate and so, it. and you know, I, I find it interesting. I've never met anyone who's done dog training who said I just picked it up one day. It, like I said, there's always an, people involved. It was an accident, man. It you know. I, I got a, I had a retriever growing up, and I got it from Mike Brown, a buddy of mine, Curtis Brown's dad, who uh-huh. was the first person to ever take me duck hunting, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. That dog ran amok. I mean, he just did whatever he wanted. Yeah. And then somewhere around 2000, I picked up another pup, and the only reason I picked it up is because I was doing a lot more hunting, but there was a group of guys where I lived that re, that trained together and none of us were professionals but it was amazing what i could learn from guys who had done it for 10 or 15 years right. and we would just continue to get together and they were part of tejas retriever club mm-hmm. uh, yeah. out there in cypress area oh, yeah. I know some of and boys. you know we would run i'll never forget uh that male i ran for 11 years jib we were running him in the hayfield in front of fairfield neighborhood before all the uh, the malls and apartments and all that were built. But, you know, one thing about retrieving is it is a hard gig to get into on your own, even though there are some historic work, Richard Walters, you know, water dog and gun dog. And there's a lot of good resources out there. But man, it, if you're listening to this, I hope that you're, if you want to get into this in any way, find a group of guys that you can work with. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something on that note. Um, and some people are going to think I'm insane or lying, one of the two. The day I became a dog trainer to now, I have not read a single book, not a page. Sure. I haven't watched any of the DVDs, nothing. I mean, I used to go to hunt tests and, you know, all these trainers. That's you know, And, and this is what we did for a living, right? And this was our whole life. And, you know, I, per, I personally learn better visually seeing something right. and doing, you know. So I really enjoyed going to, I went to a couple seminars mm-hmm. from some big name trainers and learned a lot doing that, and which I already knew the guys. We had ran tests together before mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but they'd ask me, you know, hey, what uh, what method do you use? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what method? And they're like, well, what book? I'm like, I never read a book. I don't know right. what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, and but but to, to say what you were saying, man, I mean, I'm 100% an advocate of if, if you really want to train dogs or train your own dog, there's hunting clubs in every region mm-hmm. all over Texas. I mean, you've got Lonesome Dove, you have Colorado River, Tejas, um, Waterloo. I mean, there's right. there's probably 15 or 20 of them in just Texas, right? 
um, and they're from the coast all the way up to top and side to side. They're they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, but if if you really want to do that, get involved with one of those clubs because you've got a lot of guys that are really experienced, or you have pros that are in that club that they take advantage of a training day to go right. work their dogs in that environment, right. or you know, there's also pros that are looking for bird boys or you know a little bit of kennel help. You mm-hmm. go work a couple hours a day and they help you train your dog and you learn a lot. I mean. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, and I and I'll tell anybody, and this is actually bad for my business to say this out loud. I'm an advocate of people training their own dogs. Uh, sure, I really am because I'll tell you, me, you know, when I went to Murray's, granted I was pro training at the time, but I got my first dog, Duke, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I got the dog. He was man, he was wild. I, I look, I look at him sometimes now, and I wonder how he's the same dog. But um, you know, just the the satisfaction that I have oh. from seeing what that dog does today versus when I got him and, you know, his wall of ribbons and everything that me and that dog have accomplished together. I mean, it's the best feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for everybody to experience that. Yeah. And, and you know, the, what we're talking about here is the dog training business. There's plenty of room for folks to do it on their own mm-hmm. and to reach out to a professional trainer. Absolutely. The one thing that I've seen, that most folks who, especially for hunting, mm-hmm. they have all these plans, they have all these desires, they just don't have the time. Yeah. And so whether it's a using a trainer for the complete training of a dog from, say, 6 to 10 months or, you know, 6 to 12 months, mm-hmm. I know guys that they'll call you and say, hey, I'm going to bring my dog to you for a month or two. I need to work on these two or three things. Mm-hmm. And, and you just take the dog from where they get it to you, mm-hmm. which is a decent place, but nowhere near where they can go, and you just have the dedicated time to get them there. Well, and and there are some areas, and like, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about just a second ago with reaching out for help, you know, when you read those books and those videos and things like that, I know I might be getting off a little off topic here, but that's, for lack of a better term, that that's to train a cookie-cutter dog. Right. That's saying every dog does this. When, this, when that dog does this, mm-hmm. you do this, and to react to it. And that's not the case at all. I mean, I got a kennel full of dogs right now, and I got six of them right now learning how to do hand signals. They all came within a month of each other, and all six of them are at a different level, and this drill doesn't work for this dog, but this drill works great for this one. This one, you know, can't understand this concept, but this one just thrives in it. I mean, and dogs are different. I mean, they're like people. They have personalities just like me and you, you know. And, um that's really where a pro or a training group of very experienced handlers can help you when you fall into a problem Mm -hmm. to step in there and help you out. But as far as what you were saying about the time, um, the main thing as a trainer, and and I've done that with several people, right? Mm -hmm. The most common thing I get dogs dropped off me and they're like, Hey man, I need the dog to be steady. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And then we work the dog a little bit and I'm like, well, Hey, your dog's not force fetch. And they're like, he's not what? Right. So, you know, it's like, well, we got to back up. <laughs> or they want hand signals, but they didn't train the dog to sit on a whistle. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> sit in general. I mean, yeah. you, I've, I've seen it all, man. But Sure. Um, uh, no, there, there, there's just a lot of steps that people skip. And it's not that they're skipping them. They don't know. Right. Or they don't know enough people or know anybody that can really direct them down the right path. Right. You know, and, and that's why I say, man, reach out and find help. And I've told several people, put it on Facebook, everything else. My phone's always on. And if you can't make it to come see me, I will FaceTime you and sure. work a dog and we'll sit there and go through it step by step. I mean, I, 
I want to help anybody that wants it, you know. Right. But, um, but you know, and I, I definitely tell, I can say this from the dogs I've ran, you think you have the list completed. Never. And then you get, you get to a, a new concept that you want to take the dog through, and you realize that you didn't have, you know, in, in school they call it prerequisites. Before you take Algebra 2, yeah, you yeah. got to take Algebra 1. Right. And you got to take um, basic math, too. <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> that big, uh, that male I ran old Jib, uh, I never thought goose hunting. I ran duck hunting, duck hunting, duck hunting. Yeah. Got invited to go goose hunting. The woman would bring my dog. I never taught that dog to lay down. And so I'm out in the field, and I'm having to get him by his collar and try to yank him down with me. And he's like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, I always sit up. What's the problem? Well, and, it was. <laughs> and I'll tell you, man, something that Robert always would tell me, you know, it drove me crazy when he'd say it, but when you fix one problem, you create another. That's right. You know, so it, it a lot of times, and this is another area, when people train their own dogs, they get really frustrated dogs aren't like people you can't just explain something to them and they're like okay got it right. you know that's not how that works they have to do something repetitively right. over and over and over again but take for instance um here drills mm -hmm. you know you got a dog that's just got a problem wanting to come here mm -hmm. you know so first off i i start by my obedience we're really going to focus on sit i need right. you to sit and stay right because that's the first element of you got to be able to control the dog to train the dog right and and not all dogs, but some of them, you know, have an issue with here. Mm -hmm. So you get that dog to sit, and all that first, all they want to do is get up and move. Get up and move. Right. Come to you, go to, go over there, wherever, you know, they just want to move. So you finally teach them to sit. It's like, finally, got that knocked out. Back up. Here, and the dog just stares at you. It's the and they're like, uh, no, I just, I just got in trouble for getting up. Yeah. That. yeah, you've trained me not to move, yeah. and now you're telling me to go yep. a specific direction. So then well, when you crack down on here, now the dog's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to sit now. And then it's just, it's a constant battle, man. Just like I said, repetition over and yep. over and over. Well, just this week, uh, one of Wade's, my son's coaches, his, his son thinks he wants a, a duck hunting dog. And mm -hmm. He's asked me two or three times. And I said, okay. I said, you want to get a dog? Yes, sir. You going to train that dog? I think so. I said, you ready to wake up early every morning, spend about 20, 30 minutes before you go to school and every evening Spend about another 20, 30 minutes before you go to, you know, before you set down for the evening. It's like, ooh, I didn't know about that. So yeah. it's one of those beautiful ideas that most people think, hey, this will be fun, but they just never get to the fun part sometimes. But, well, man, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to get real practical in a few things about this dog training. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us and we'll be right back. Well, you've heard me talk on this podcast about our title sponsor, Weicker Realtors, out of Bryan College Station. And here we are with Warren Green, the leader of that team. And uh, it's good to finally have you on, Warren. Glad we could work this out. Uh, but, you know, I just want Warren to kind of give us a, a quick snapshot of why investment property on the coast works. So if you remember the way that we got into investment property, me and Matt started out together. Yeah. Uh, me, him, and my brother. Our first time going down to Rockport to buy a property, we had never, didn't know anything about properties down there. And the first, do you remember the first one we looked at? Yeah, it had like 17 dogs in the yard. Right, yeah. The lady next door was a <laughs> chihuahua breeder. Yeah. So 
We get down there, and the house was looked nice enough for what we were looking for at the time. Uh, but the lady next door had a whole backyard full of chihuahuas. <laughs> And so we decided to nix that one at the time. This was before you could get stuff on your phone uh, with the internet. So we were driving around. I think we went to a real estate shop and picked up some flyers. I think we did. Yeah. And then found an old house, not an old house, but an older house. In a different neighborhood. Well, same neighborhood, other side of the highway. That's right. That's right. Which that was one thing when you talk about you don't know what you don't know. I did not realize the difference in the two sides of the highway on that one. And that difference long term probably made a fifty or sixty thousand dollar difference on the value of the house. Wow. Didn't know that at the time. But so yeah, we drove around, we ended up finding a house that was sort of finished. Um Well, if I recall correctly, he was in the middle of remodeling it due to some health issues with his wife. And so we picked it up kind of mid remodel. We had no yeah. floor in it. Uh, we redid the whole kitchen. Yeah, no floors, bad cabinets. And if you remember the bathtub where he had the, the spigot coming out of the wrong hole, so there, <laughs> yeah. was, there was just a hole in the bathtub where the spigot was supposed to be. Yeah, we didn't realize that we were quickly going to become plumbers and painters and everything else at one time. Yeah. and But it, when we purchased that one, we were not intending on renting it out. No, had no intentions of renting it out. There were three of us splitting a, what was it, $63,000 house at the time, I believe. <laughs> this a, is early 2000s. It was, it was a couple hundred bucks a piece a month. Yeah, and, I think it's two fifty a month <laughs> and a, a piece. Few, and a few two-by-fours here and there. Yeah. So that was the plan. We were not going to rent it out. And then you decided to go back to school. Sure. So I stepped and, out, of the, out of the equation. Yeah. So, so you got out, and then that left me and my brother. Right. And just kind of looking at it, and again, it was not an expensive house, but for the time in our life, it was, you know, a few hundred dollars a month was a lot. And so started looking at, all right, how am I going to help cover the cost of this? Because I started having kids at the same, around that time. And whereas I was going down there a couple of times a month, now I'm only going down once, you know, once a month, Mm -hmm. once every two months, those sort of things. And so uh, this is... this is a few years later, and that's kind of when uh, VRBO or Verbo, depending on how you want to say it, right. came on the market and just kind of got into it from there. Yeah. And and it, realized that there was good money to be made in renting out my, my fishing house as a, as a vacation rental. Sure. And, and what you're saying is the house ended up being available more often whenever life changed and kids got involved. And so you weren't making the trip down there, and you said, well— Hey, if we're not using it every weekend, there's here people that want to use it for the same purpose that we originally bought the house, a good fishing house down in the Rockport area. And so through the online options, you just quickly got into the rental market. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just sitting there and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in the real estate business and I don't like real estate that just sits there not making any money when it has the potential. And so just I started off listening on a couple of the fishing websites and then from there got into some of the other stuff and just kind of grew over the years to a point where I was doing really, really well with it. And in fact, I was doing more than covering my costs. Now, some of that was because we had bought the house so cheap. Right. Um, but the rentals then weren't what they are now either. Sure. And so it was, a, it was a great way to basically have a for lack of a better term, a free fishing house, you know, a house I could go down to when I wanted to go to the coast that wasn't costing me anything. Mm -hmm. And so if you're one of those that gets down to the coast and you wondered, you know, what is the value? What is the investment potential in a property? Give Weicker Realtors a call. 
especially in that Rockport area, because the story, just like ours, we bought it and intended to use it just for ourselves. Market change, situation change, renters came into play, and it's turned into not only a break-even, but a profitable, wise choice that Warren's grown the business there in Rockport and actually now offices and, and serves that area. So if you're looking at investment uh, property, especially in that Rockport area, give Wycott Realtors a call, and Warren and his team can definitely take care of you. Well, here we are on Texas Podcasting Blast with uh, Parker Rawlings, the owner of Rawlings Retrievers, one of our local dog trainers here. And, you know, if, if you're anything like me, here we are. It's Ju- July 4th weekend. Teal season is two and a half months out, a little mm-hmm. bit less. Uh, dove season is coming up in September. Can't wait. And the vast majority of outdoorsmen have a dog that they like to enjoy. Now, I'm not saying everybody has a hunting dog. I know everybody would like one, but for those of us who have a dog that uh, does fair, just does fair in the field, mm-hmm. what are some things, Parker, that we can start doing now just to get the dog not only physically in shape, but just sharp again on their, ready for it. On, on their obedience <clears throat> and on their let's get ready for duck season because what we don't want to do is you don't want to be the guy chasing the stupid dog in the field on opening weekend. I've seen that, and I don't know who I want to get rid of, the dog or the hunter, yeah. you know. But are there some drills? Are there, what are just some real practical guys can do with a small amount of space or maybe a, a park in the neighborhood? They don't always live out in the country like we do, but what are just some of those continual basics that, that you like to encourage people? So a couple things that I'll do when a dog comes back to me. Now, granted, this really depends on the level that your dog's at. Sure. Um, but kind of like I tell everybody, first and foremost, your foundation, your fundamentals, whatever you want, your prerequisites, like, requisites, like you right. said, is your obedience. Right. If you don't have control of your dog right beside you, how do you expect to have control of your dog when they're 100 yards away from Correct. you? Correct. You know, so first and foremost, I would attack my obedience. That mm-hmm. I would be on that dog about obedience like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, remote sits hear drills, you know, walking tight, good heel swings. Mm-hmm. Um, heel swing me and dogs come back with a retrieve and right. set up on your Throw the head left up leg, you right leg, whatever, you know. Take the bird out of its mouth. Um, you know, pending what you've been doing with your dog, like I, I have a client right now. He's going to be bringing his dog in August. Um, he's got a young child and been playing fetch with the dog, stuff like that. And he's like, hey, man, he's starting to get a little sloppy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just kind of holding funny now, things like that. Like, I think it's just because my kid's been playing with him and he doesn't know any better. And I'm like, that's fine. If the dog does it with you, maybe do some force fetch drills. You know, nothing crazy. You don't have to go sure. through the whole process, but take you three or four bumpers. I mean, me personally, I, I force fetch my dogs with just about any object that I can find mm-hmm. that I know they can grab with their mouth. Um, you know, just get a few objects, whatever, and go through a little bit of force fetch work, mm-hmm. you know couple things like that just like i said trying to regain your control and let the dog know like hey it's go time time to mean business you need to pay attention you know um as far as to get my dog in shape really kind of depends on your hunting scenario Mm -hmm. you know let's say you're primarily a dove hunter well first and foremost if you've 
got a dog that's been a couch potato, they're not acclimated to the heat. Right. So you need to start figuring out some ways to maybe put that dog outside under the shade. I mean, don't be crazy about it and stay sure. in the middle of the sun, but, you know, start getting that dog outside for a few hours a day, kind of start getting used to the weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many calls I've had over the years where somebody's dog had a heat stroke. Well, then trying to prep for the season. Yeah, two two episodes ago, uh, <clears throat> Bink and I were talking about a dog that went down in the middle of a of a goose hunt in November, just because it was a, a really warm afternoon, yeah. and it just happens. It, I mean, you, and, and you got to be careful. And sometimes it happens so fast, there's no warning. You don't even realize what's That's going right. on. And and these dogs, man, like I said earlier, they're we we train them to be 100 percent dedicated to the retrieve. Right, they're not going to they let up. literally go until they kill themselves. That's right. You as a handler have to be knowledgeable enough and be observant enough to know, mm-hmm. like, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> back to what we were saying, though, um, you know, start getting them acclimated to the heat. And pending, like I said, your dog's level, I'd maybe do some force to pile drills. Right. You know, just to kind of reestablish the turn back, kind of work on my straight lines, things like that. Um, you know, go over some T-drill. Mm-hmm. There's a drill I like a lot, uh, like a lot, like a lot, called six point um, or W. Okay. So basically, you're gonna have, you know, you, uh, if you're doing the six point drill, you have over pile on each side, mm-hmm. you have a forty five pile on each side, and you have two back piles. Now they're only about five six feet apart, directly behind the dog, but the reason being is we want that dog to directionally go back. Okay. I want them to take a right back. I want them to take a left back. And when they turn and burn to that pile, it's right there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good little drill to tune up your specific casting. Mm -hmm. Um, And And, and let me me point this out. That is with the assumption that your dog understands. Yeah, they they have to to understand the the whole whole thing. One One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen with dog owners is they have an expectation for their dog to follow a command that they never trained their dog and never made sure their dog understood what they were asking them. So um, keep in mind, make sure you hear Parker said, depending on the level of your dog's training and ability, fit them to the right, Yeah, to the right drill. So let, let's say we have a dog that, let's, let's just take a step back. We'll hit both categories, or we'll hit three categories, started, intermediate, finished. So a started dog, meaning they've been force fetch, they retrieve, you know, singles, and they're steady. Mm-hmm. So for that started dog, obviously we do some retrieves. That's sure. really the main thing they can do. Um, I'd really focus on my steadiness. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of steady training. Um, I do my little multiple name game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I still use the same names for Duke that I did the day I started training him. I think he actually learned to count now because he knows his name. He knows where up. it's gonna fall in the. But um, you know, like I'll take Duke out when I'm getting him ready, and I'll sling a bumper out there or use a launcher or okay, we'll talk like I'm not a pro, I'll throw a bumper for him. Right. And I'll drop my hand over his head like I'm fixing to send him, and I'll go, Finn, Gunner, Bo, Jack, Jake, Duke. Right. And that's when he gets to go. He has mm-hmm. to sit still for that whole time mm-hmm. period. Um, I also have another one I call the time game. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't realize they do this. Everybody has a natural point in time they release their dog. Right. And some people, you know, birds come in, bam, bam, bam. As soon as the duck hits the water, before all the water that splashed touches back they down seem, the yep. pond, they're, we'll use my dog again, Duke. Yep. Some people, before the duck hits the water, yep. well, that dog learns that timing. Mm-hmm. 
and you'll notice if every time, as soon as there's a splash, you're going Duke, Duke, Duke. Yep. He's going off the splash as much as he's going to run yeah. off the name. Don't just drop your hand and don't say his name one right. time the time you normally would. He's going. Right. So I'll take and I'll, uh, you know, I might send him one of the birds still in midair, mm-hmm. falling, which is a bad thing. You don't want to get, make a habit of that. But but you so mix it the, up. Yeah, more so for the training. And then I might make him sit there and wait 30 seconds. Yep. Might wake him make five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever. And But the main thing for me with the steadiness is I the name game is probably the one that I focus on the mm-hmm. most. Um, reason being is, and I've been in this situation, we're hunting, and, you know, we shot a little two-pack of teal, mm-hmm. right? And getting ready to send the dog, and my buddy Ryan's beside me, hey, Park, we got more ducks coming in from the right. Hold off. Right. Well, if that dog just basically goes on the first noise he right. hears, as soon as Ryan went, hey, Park, right. we yep. would have went the dog, you know. Yep. But we'd done that, and he knows to don't move, you mm-hmm. know. Um, <clears throat> intermediate dogs. So intermediate meaning your dog can hit some doubles, you know. They have a very good general idea of hand signals. Like you're not going to go win any ribbons or anything, but they know what's going on. They'll sit sure. on a whistle, take a back, take an over, possibly a 45. Um, in a situation like that, I'd focus on some T-drill, and I would do a lot of force to pile. Mm-hmm. Um, force to pile is going to really get them in shape because it's just basically it's kind of like you running horses playing football in right. two days. You know, they're just running. And, um, and and the way I've always run force to pile, you can you can put so many different combinations together in force to pile. Mm-hmm. But I would put at least four to five lines out. I would stand in the center and just randomly turn my dog to another line and send them to different piles just so they're listening to me for everything. And I just have two or three bumpers in each pile. But so, we could do twenty-five or thirty retrieves out of that one drill. So what we were going. So I was actually going to touch base on that. So I call that a pattern blind drill. Okay. Okay. So force to pile. This is just how I do it. Sure. Is just one large pile. Okay. There's nothing else. There's nothing and it, else. And they can on. see it. It's a straight shot. Yeah. And They're, I mean, and make it to where I mean, and some people don't have this luxury, but if you can get up to where you can stretch that pile out. Two, three hundred yards. I mean, Get them, yeah. that's not going to be bad for your dog at all, you right. know. And they know where the pile is. It's. I'm not saying go start it at hundred yards. Start right. it at forty yards. You know, make sure you establish that pile. Establishment when you're working an intermediate dog is very crucial mm-hmm. because if they get confused and you make you have, you know. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Take disciplinary action because right. of what you thought was a refusal was actually confusion. Right. Now we're going backwards. Right. You know, so make sure your dog understands what's going on. And you can't just put on. them back at the line and expect them to perform. No, no. You, you not start over, but baby steps, you know, well, work and, them into it. And what you mentioned there, one, one fault in a lot of guys' training, and mm-hmm. I've been guilty of this, we can all throw the bumper a certain distance. Mm-hmm. And so if you can throw it 30 yards, your dog is used to retrieving 30-yard retrieves. If you can throw it 40 yards, finding somebody to go stand behind the tree and get it out there 100 yards, use the launchers, that they're not that expensive. I mean, if you're really wanting to to get into this, you can. Um, But running your dog at different distances Mm -hmm. in training, because in the field, I mean. Oh, there's no telling where. That gadwall locks a wing. And the dog sees it go down, and he runs twenty yards. You think, where's the? You know, you got to teach him depth perception. So I'll, I'll tell you a big one that we have is um, dogs don't know how to get out of decoys. Yep. 
you know, and primarily, I mean, if, if you're a hunter that works on decoying birds before you shoot, most of your birds are going to land in the decoys. Mm-hmm. Shoot one that's 40 yards past and see what your dog does if you haven't really worked on it. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a lot of dogs come in that people have worked themselves, even some other trainers, it's, it's happened, come in and they're like, man, my dog just won't do, you know, he won't go past 50 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, that's not a problem. So we'll start out on land, easy, simple, like short grass. Mm-hmm. Like we train a lot on a grass farm. Right. Big, open dog can see it plain as day. Like I said, baby steps earlier. Um, and we'll start doing that, and we'll get some good distance going. And then we might take some random objects and just throw them out in between us, and we're doing this on land, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've thrown rubber boots, tennis shoes, sure. backpacks, whatever, just yep. stuff that the dog's going to see, but run past it. Mm-hmm. This is not any concern of yours. Go to what you saw fall. And you start working concepts like that, bring them into it, and they it's not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. It's something so simple that so many people just don't realize. Now, granted, like you said a second ago, having launchers helps, but, I mean, your girlfriend can go out and throw a bumper for you. Oh, you know, a seven-year-old can go throw a bumper a good honestly, distance. You know, I mean, they don't, they, they, we're, not, we're not looking for a major no. league pitcher out here. You know, they don't have to do nothing crazy throwing it. But, um, yeah, anyway, so back to where we were on some drills. Um, I talked about pattern blinds. Mm-hmm. So pattern blinds <clears throat> pick you four or five areas at different distance ranges. You know, like one might be 30 yards, one might be 60 yards, one mm-hmm. might be 70 yards, you know. Um, four or five different areas and um, have them to where you can run them all from one center point. Mm-hmm. And basically, once again, these are established. The dog knows what's going on. This is more so working on your directional lining. Mm-hmm. To establish that, when you first started, you stand in one spot every day. You come back and stand in this one exact spot and back, turn to the left, back, turn to the right, back, and just keep sending them there. And after a few days when the dog knows where everything's at, now you get crazy with it. Mm -hmm. Go stand 10 yards next to one of your piles, and now the dog has to run through previous lines, run right beside other piles. And that's when you can really crispen up some casting mm-hmm. because your dog's going to naturally want to fade to the one that's closest, right? Mm-hmm. You hit them on a whistle. Sorry, hit them on a whistle is a bad term. You blow a whistle and they right. sit down and give them that right 45 to push them away from that pile. If they don't, make your correction accordingly right. and give them the cast again. The good thing about a pattern blind, and this is why it's so crucial that that has to be established, they have to know where that bumper's at, is they, this is for an intermediate dog too, if they don't have the confidence in you, they're not going to no man's land to right. push off that bumper. Right. But if they know they got a good idea, like, okay, something is over there. I go there all the time. Then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, I'm going to take his word for it. I'm going to go see what he's pointing at. And that's when you can really start, you know, handling your dog to where you want them to go, not just kind of generally guiding them where they want to go. Yeah. And you can mix that drill. I mean, you you could literally run that drill for six weeks straight and do something different every single day once you get past your establishment period. Yeah, and I've heard that same uh, content. Notice we're, we're talking about the same exact uh, drills here, but coming up in different camps. I heard guys call it the wagon wheel and just different things. Where, that one's a little different. And so, and so you know, <laughs> but the, the, the key is these are very doable drills. And between... I mean, you too. There, there's places to watch folks do this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the the probably the one thing that I'd, I'd like us to kind of wrap up here in this last segment, you and I have both been on hunts mm-hmm. where we saw dogs do something that wasn't the dog's fault. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, I'll never forget running a hunt 15 years ago, and the guy begged me, can I bring my dog, can I bring my dog, can I bring my dog? And I just have a rule on my hunts. Um, if me and my dog run the hunt, me or my dog is going to pick up all the birds because I have that much confidence that I can get my dog to pick up the birds. And so I would tell clients, if you bring your dog, you and your dog are going to pick up all the birds. This guy gets out there, and the dog was just the most untrained. Mm-hmm. And he had all he had done in the backyard was throw a tennis ball. So when we're talking about the hunt, and let's talk duck hunting specifically, the steadiness of a dog, the placement of a dog, the uh, expectation of the dog, what have you seen from a training standpoint that you feel is three or four absolutes from from a dog obedience and performance standpoint that you want to help a dog understand that are just... I don't want to say unacceptable because every dog has a bad day. I mean, you know, like they're, they're unique. But for the hunt, what are some things that stand out to you as you gotta you gotta work on this? So, uh, my pet peeves on a dog. Um, I cannot stand a dog that breaks. It just eats me to my core. It drives me crazy. It's because to some people they, and, and to some people they don't really know ways to fix right. it. Um, you know, but it's one of the easiest things to correct. And really, if your dog never gets the opportunity, they never learn the habit. Right. You know, I have a dog in the kennels right now. His name's Cash. He's owned by Jacob Zamonic. Cash is 10 months old. I've had Cash since he was four months old, and the dog's never went through a single steady drill as long as he's been there. And, I mean, you'd think he was a statue when we launched something. Stoic, and that's just huh? from repetitive holding his collar no sit mm-hmm. no sit he never learned a bad habit yeah. we don't we don't do i don't do fun fetching where right. my, i work my dog and okay you get a freebie and i throw a bumper right, out right, there my right. dog just takes off yeah we don't do that right because if i give him the opportunity then it's in his mind when's he he's going to be thinking when do i get to do that next you mm-hmm. know um don't ever don't ever create the habit but if the habit is created it's not a terribly hard fix it's just something that you have to be diligent about and very consistent Mm -hmm. dog training the whole key behind it is one word and it's consistency Mm -hmm. how you work that dog on tuesday is how you have to work that dog on friday how you train that dog on monday is how he has to be ran on the blind on saturday it's there's no ifs ands or buts um but back to what you were saying so the steadiness i steadiness drives me crazy the second is blind manners Mm -hmm. so meaning with that I've been on a lot of hunts, man, and, you know, we'll talk about goose hunting first. You're sitting there in your layout blind or on the ground with your little pop-up deal, your backrest, and you got your little blanket on or whatever, and dog goes and fetches a goose to the right side of the line. And then he comes back, and he's jumping over people and flinging mud on mm-hmm. you and stuff, and he's just making his way all the way down to his trainer. Like, it just drives me crazy. Or you're... <clears throat> crane hunting or duck hunting depending on your situation and you're in a panel blind mm-hmm. and your dog runs through the entire blind all the way down instead of knocking, coming to your end where you're yeah, supposed to yeah knocking guns over stuff like that yeah. another thing drives me insane <laughs> and, and unfortunately the hunter usually says oh they just want to say hi to everybody no they know they're not supposed to say hi to everybody yeah. <laughs> you know and so uh, a situation like that a big one for me is a dog stand mm-hmm. 
set your dog stand up outside or your platform, your little mutt hut, what they call them, yep. the little pop-up deals, and really work your dog on that and let him know that's your place. Yep. You know, and if you see him going that way, if you have the capability of him sitting on a whistle, blow a whistle, tell him no. Correct it. Not make a correction first. So we always give our dog an opportunity to make the right decision. Mm. You know, sometimes you have a lapse in judgment. Happens sure. to me. Sure. You know, if I tell you no, now here, and he continues on, tweet, now make a caller cor- correction. Mm-hmm. Call him here again. And go through that process until he finally is like, okay, I'm not going to go over there no more. Right. And make him come straight to his dog stand or dog hut, whatever. Um, number three. <clears throat> and by the way, your placement can be worked in the kitchen, in the garage, in the backyard. I've had dog tables right next to our dinner table before where I would sit a dog on there in place for 30 minutes and they're mobile. Oh yeah. And so use them in many different circumstances. And I've told people this too, you know, they're like, I let people drop their dogs off. Well, I really don't have the room to really work my dog. Once he gets out of training, what can I do? And yes, it might be bad for the dog's fitness, but you really don't have to go out and throw bumpers for your dog every day. Right. You really don't. Yeah. The retrieve is just one part of the puzzle. It's natural. They they want to do that. What they don't want to do is sit and stay. Mm-hmm. Heal, walk at heel. You know mm-hmm. that that stuff they don't want to do. And I'm like, man, keep your obedience tight mm-hmm. and keep control over your dog, and everything else is going to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in your living room. Sure, you're sitting there watching a movie. Make the dog go sit on the couch over here, and then now make him go sit in the kitchen away from everybody. Make him go lay down. Little things like that. Little games you can play with your dog. You know. Mm-hmm. Have remotes laying around, whatever, kid toys, whatever you got. Make them fetch stuff up. And just, right. there's little things you can do just inside your living room to well, keep your dog tight, you know? That's just a little simple creativity. Yeah, that's all it is. Um, and so back to the blind, I just... Yeah, the, the hunting blind. So, yeah, the blind manners drive me crazy. Number three, um, and, and granted, this one is not really people's fault. It's usually a knack, lack of knowledge. Or, put it bluntly, laziness is force fetch. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand a dog that does not deliver to hand. Mm. All dogs should deliver to hands. Mm-hmm. I've had hunts or been on hunts where somebody's running a dog and their dog comes up with a crippled redhead. Mm-hmm. And you know how those things are. Once they get away, yeah, it's they drop hard. it three yards short yeah, of the blind. It's and pretty hard to catch it again. You yeah. know, and we're running around. Trying oh, yeah. to grab this thing, and the dog's going crazy, handler's going crazy. It's just a mess. Teal you know? does the same thing. Oh, yeah. Gadwall will, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, you know, force fetch. It's The biggest thing about force fetch is it's one of the opening doors to advancement. Mm-hmm. You know, without it, you're kind of dead in the water once you hit a certain point. There's really nothing else you can teach your dog because you have no way of enforcing a command or correcting a command during a retrieve. Yep. Um, so force fetch is a big one. Number four, mm, what would number four be? And, and people, people pushing their dog farther than their dog should be pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody looking at, you know, well, my dog's learning T-drill right now, and we have a bird go wing off in, in a rice field about 50 yards to the right of us. Dog ain't been there all day. I have no idea. Didn't even see the bird fall over there. Right. I'm going to try it. Yeah. It's like, don't, don't even well, waste your time. The, the minute – the minute someone goes from hunting to handling their dog, the whole hunt stops. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the owner of the dog gets out of the blind or tries to do it from inside the blind. The dog can't see him because they're covered in camouflage. And it's just a it, – it, 
one of the worst things with the trips I run is if someone brings a dog and they've all invested in this trip and that customer's dog makes it a difficult morning for everybody. And that's out of my control. You know, I can't run that dog. It's not my dog. I, you know, I'm not going to jump in there. But, you know, you were talking about uh, introducing dogs and establishing. Out of all the years I've done this, and my dog now, she's nine and a half. I mean, I'm I, I'm even working a relief dog a little bit this year because <laughs> I just don't – three or four days in a row, a cat may start to stove up a little bit. But uh, it's actually one of the first uh, litters that, mm-hmm. that we threw. He's going to come in and help me out. But um, – it was late in the season, and ducks were doing what they do, and I was like, man, I need a jerk string. I spent an hour putting together a jerk string that night. I was all excited about my jerk string. Man, I had my little box. I get out there, the customers, oh, you got a jerk string? Oh, yeah, I made it myself. You know, I'm all bragging about this <laughs> jerk string. And here I got this nine-year-old dog. She's sitting on her table, no big deal, laid back, you know, ready for the birds to fly. It couldn't have happened any worse. The first bird that fell was just right down the line of that jerk string. Oh, no. And when she came <laughs> off that table, I mean, she has shaken decoys off. I don't, I mean, you know, her whole life, she got caught up in that jerk string. Oh, boy. <laughs> and all I saw was nylon thread and the three decoys at the end going nuts. And then she freaked out. I mean, it, you know, you get in the oh, water yeah. and something's wrapping around your legs. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> dog was unharmed. Uh, I think my jerk string ended up about 10 different pieces. So I just pulled a pocket knife, started cutting <laughs> string, you know, but, and, but one of the customers asked me, said, what happened? I said, I made a big mistake. I tried to run my dog in a live hunt situation that I had not introduced my dog to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And that jerk string it's I mean, jerk string had been around forever, yeah. but there, like you said, whatever the dog is going to, encounter on the hunt as many of those things that we can introduce them to in normal settings repetitively yep. they're going to do fine and one more thing i'd really like to focus on just off of that and and this is just something that popped in my mind that people talk to me about all the time so if you're a right-handed shooter i tell you work your dog on the left side mm-hmm. you know left side work your dog right side vice versa right in some cases, you're going to go hunting, and it's really became a big trend now. It's kind of funny. When I got my first dog, nobody had a dog. It was like right. I used to get phone calls to go duck hunting just yeah, When I lived in Oklahoma, I, I was the only one in town. I got to go on some awesome mallard yeah, hunts because yeah. of my dog. Oh, I, I used to get to go all over the place, man, just because of Duke. You know? Right. And um, now everybody's got a dog. Well, the problem with that is everybody wants to bring their dog. Mm. You know, And it, it's buddy hunting. It's all in fun, right? So you don't want to ruin any friendships or anything over just a you know duck hunt that doesn't really mean anything so you're like okay well you get in there and your buddy sits on the left side of the blind and you're a right-handed shooter well now your dog's got to sit on the right side of you and that's that's foreign that dog has no idea what's going on you know so work on stuff like that even too if you know you're going to be in a situation where you might be hunting with other dogs you know try to start working your dog a little bit on the right side as well you know, honoring is such a weird concept for a dog. Yes. Because you train them to be the hero. Mm-hmm. And we expect them to be the hero. And oh, yeah. I tell folks often, if I have shooters in my blind, I have no problem letting that Beretta sit in the corner. And I call ducks, I work ducks, and I run my dog. And I have a blast. Yeah. It is, that, is, that is one of my favorite mornings. Mm-hmm. 
but a Labrador is just not, I don't know if any dog. I mean, you know, I've seen our field, our pointers, you know, we train, we train on them. That's a whole different ball game. And I was amazed the first time I went on a quail hunt, I saw that German short hair honored to the back. Yep. And I was like, that ain't by accident. And they're like, we trained that. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have to break their code. But I'll tell you this, if, if, you, if you've ever wondered, should I get into a dog? First of all, if you have the time and the energy to get into a dog, it can be some of the most exciting hunts that you've ever had. Yeah. It absolutely can. But please don't think it's one size fits all. And if you've hunted with a stellar dog, I've hunted with dogs that are 10 times better than my dogs, and I've hunted with dogs that don't hold a candle to my dog. And my dog's just a run-of-the-mill dog. Um, but I want to encourage you, you know, the, the relationship between an outdoorsman and his dog is one of the, one of the, really the, the special things out there. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're looking to get into a dog, I hope that you've, you've heard some terminology. If, uh, I hope you've heard some points, some tips. But, uh, t- Parker, if they wanted to get in touch with you about just ask some questions about training or, mm-hmm. or, or try to schedule, you know, when you'd have an open kennel spot, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you can check us out on Facebook at Rawlings Retrievers. You could also give me a call at 979-240-6149. Um, we're also on uh, Instagram, which is Rawlings underscore Retrievers as well. Um, but one thing I would like to make a recommendation on, just something you were talking about, if anybody wants to get a dog, 100% you should do it. Mm-hmm. If there's the slightest thought in your mind like, man, I, I, I want to do this, I promise you it'll be one of the most rewarding things in your sure. life. But when you do it, do your research. Yep. You know, do your research. Make sure that, that you seek out the dog that's going to fit you. Mm-hmm. Don't go like really hope none of my clients hear this and knows I'm talking about him directly, but I've had a guy, you know, oh, well, my, my uncle had a chocolate lab, and that was just right. the best dog I ever saw, so I just had to get a chocolate lab. Right. And this dog would do nothing more than, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a problem to get him to stand up no. in his kennel when I went in there, you know. Do your research. Check your pedigree. Um, yep. You know, check your health clearances. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of avenues. And do your research on your breeds. We have people all the time that, you know, say, how hey, am I getting a German short hair pointer? Okay, well, what kind of hunting are you going to do? Well, I like to do a lot of duck hunting. Okay, what kind of hunting are you doing? I'm going to be in the marsh. So the dog's going to be in the water all day or all morning? Yeah. Maybe that's not the best fit. Right. You know, I mean, and nothing against German short hairs. I've had some fantastic ones. I I've, owned a, I've owned a couple of them myself. You know, but they're not really meant for that sure. kind of situation, you know, um, or somebody gets a silver lab. I'll touch base on this so nobody gets offended. I've had some really good ones. I mean, not personally owned, but I've trained some really sure. good ones. Um, I've had several of them that learned how to do hand signals and could do anything our black labs did, you know. But there are situations where you get into that breed, well, and if you had some bad breeding or something that took place up the line that you, you didn't know, research, that, that that color is such a new thing in the in the big, yeah. in the overall business of Labradors. Uh, early on, there was a lot of people that questioned chocolates. I think chocolates, uh, there's still some crazy chocolates out there, but there's some crazy blacks and yellows. Uh, but the silver, the charcoal, these newer colors, the, I don't think the pedigrees, they're just not that established to guarantee every time you're getting a fair shot. No. And, and, and so it's just riskier. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah. Well, 
and in, in my experience with them, man, there's a lot of people when they get into that line of breeding, it's for the money. Mm-hmm. It really is. They're not doing, and this isn't all. I'm not speaking sure. to everybody, but they're not really doing it for to strengthen a breed or have the best hunting dogs. It's, they it's can a have. specialty type thing. Yeah, they they can breed this dog and they can sell them puppies for three thousand dollars a piece versus having a black lab that's going to bring a thousand dollars a piece. Right. You know, so they're not concerned with what the dog's capabilities are and things like that, you know. Um, like I said, I've had some good silvers. I've had some really bad ones. I've mm-hmm. had a couple of them that I've had to wash out. They just, the dog had no desire and it wasn't ever going to work. Yep. You know, um, the biggest one people always talk about is, oh, the health problems, the skin problems, blah, 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 blah. Yes, that is, that is a legitimate thing. With mm-hmm. it. And that's something you really have to focus on and do your research on, like I was saying. Um, in some cases where you, you actually have silver labs being bred back to silver labs, some of that trade is starting to kind of vanish from what Mm -hmm. I've seen. Um, you know, but it's not gone. It still happens. Like I had a dog, um, not going to say his owner's name when I was at running gun, the dog, we had to use bark collars Mm -hmm. and we put a bark collar on the dog and the dog just had this horrible infection start on his neck and lost his hair on his neck literally overnight sensitive skin and yeah very sensitive skin they and that if i'm not mistaken i want to say he was already on some kind of vitamin supplement for his skin Mm. you know and and that that is a great dog don't get me wrong i mean sure i've I've done some amazing work with that dog when i had him back then but just the physical attributes of the dog had some complications yeah i mean and you know that's a big thing and when you get into the whole professional training side of it man you can get on some of them posts or those mm-hmm. uh, those pages and i mean people are just absolutely mean like mm-hmm. i'm it, it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable for some of those well, people but, that post but, a picture but back to your original suggestion just do your homework yeah do, do, do your know homework, who you're dealing with attention. uh it's I, and and seek out help i mean yep. you know take me for example this is what i've done for a living Sure. Well, not full time anymore, but this is what I've been involved in for the last, you know, almost seven years of my mm-hmm. life. It's my, it's consumed my life. I, I have breeders and training friends from down here on the coast all the way up to Canada and from side to side, you know. Well, and, and, and there's there's certain bloodlines on those pedigrees that we all recognize mm-hmm. and know that they're 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 tried and true. Yeah. Um, there's some that fewer, but there there are some that we know it's probably a good idea to stay away from. And, uh, but, you know, but always reach out and don't, don't feel like you have to go into this thing blind. Well, and, and the reason I say reach out and look help, look for help, maybe, maybe look for professional help is, uh, and we get these phone calls from time to time. Oh, well, my buddy's dad's brother's sister's right. husband's dog, you know, he, he, he hunts yeah. and then so-and-so's dog on my wife's side, <laughs> right. you know, that dog hunts and they bred them and they, you know, they got puppies and yeah. I'm like, okay, your definition of hunting and mine might be two completely different <laughs> right. topics, yeah. Yeah. you know, so seek out, seek out a help from a pro or other breeders, whatever, and they're going to help you. And most of the time there's an ulterior motive because they want to train that dog and they're going to make sure they have well, the easiest time possible. But. Just because a, just because a dog retrieves two ducks a year at grandpa's pond does not doesn't mean ex- they're a doesn't hunting exactly dog, you know? say it's ready to run 30 days in the marsh. And another know? thing, as far as seeking out help, I've had a lot of people call me and say, Hey man, like, so I found this dog 
can I send you the pedigree and you look at it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. What you got? Well, I don't know what all these letters mean. They got all these like little, sure. you know, NAFC and FC Just, and MH. I, and I don't know what that means. And I'm like, send it on over. I'll explain and break it all. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the language, if you will. Yeah. Uh, there's a learning curve there, so help out. And I'll, check I'll tell it you, out. before I got into dog training, if I'd have read one of those things, I'd have been like, does this, does this dog have like some issues? What's going <laughs> yeah. on here, you know? <laughs> they left out some vowels. But, yeah. Well, you know, as we wrap up, if you have a dog uh, that you're working, man, I hope that you're getting it out now. Get it ready for season because we're not that far away. If you need some help, give Parker a call. Uh, check out the kennels. They do a great job over there and the consistency and the dedication is is just as good, if not better, than any trainer I've been around. So, But, man, thanks again for checking out Texas Podcast and Blast. Uh, this won't be the last time we talk about dogs because we are dog people and we're all duck hunters and we love what our dogs do for us in the field. So, uh, Parker, thanks for joining us today. Yes, and, uh, man, be on the lookout. We have two more episodes for this season. We'll have episode uh, 11 and 12 coming out in weeks to follow. And thanks again for listening. Y'all take care. <laughs>